Amos chapter 4, I figure your Bible's creased there and it just kind of automatically falls to Amos because of all the devotional time you spend there. So Amos is a minor prophet. If you get to Daniel, go just a little bit more to your right. If you get to the New Testament, um, flip back to the left. Lots of little books mixed in there. You can cover a bunch of them in, in just a few pages. So Amos chapter 4. Um, just a little bit of recap. Um, we have been walking through Amos. This will be our fourth Sunday in it. Um, Amos is a minor prophet. Um, minor only meaning in, in length and brevity. Um, is compared to Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, which are major prophets because they just wrote a lot more. Amos is really kind of the forerunner of the prophetic movement of what you're familiar with in Scripture. Um, one of the, the older prophetic books. Most likely he was ministering um, around 760 to 755 BC. So we're looking at just under um, 800 years prior to Christ. Um, So this book is, you know, pushing 3,000 years old. And yet we have seen still a tremendous amount of relevance um, to to the church and to our lives. Um, It is a prophetic book. Amos was a lay guy. He was not a professional a prophet. He was a, sh- a shepherd. He worked with trees. And the Lord showed him some visions, gave him a prophetic word, and, and, and gave him a task of, of ministering. The time period in history that we're dealing with, um, the, the 12 tribes of Israel have divided, and the 12, two of the 12 have become the southern kingdom. Ten of the 12 have become the northern kingdom. Um, so, Amos lives in Judah, which is what the southern kingdom was named. He is, his message is for the northern kingdom, um, which is Israel. Um, but at this point, Israel is only 10 of the 12 tribes. Um, Amos is a difficult book. It's a difficult book because a lot of it is prophetic. It's not a genre we use a lot um, this day and age. It's difficult because it's Hebrew poetry, right? So we're removed from it some 3,000 years. So um, it doesn't have the same rhythm and rhyme that we would expect. Um, it's difficult because it shows us a different side in, of God's character as we see vengeance and wrath and, and judgment coming forth. And so we have um, asked you during this time, right, to, to be willing to kind of sit in this, to sit under the heaviness and the weight that Amos brings, knowing that there will be hope. Um, and, and we're trying to show some of that each week, but we're also kind of just letting it weigh on us. And I say that um, to say this, that we, we preach, you know, just kind of chapter by chapter in whatever book that we're in, seeing that there's benefit in how the authors put things together and seeing the, the themes as they run together rather than just some random passage each Sunday. But Amos maybe even more so because it, there's really one message in Amos and he's using repetition, he's using um, different Um, tactics through sermons, through oracles, through songs, through poetry to share this message with Israel. Um, I say that to say this, my, the weightiness and the heaviness of it, um, I I sense it and feel it. And there's a tendency for me to want to poke, like burst that bubble each week, right? Through levity, through running um, maybe too quickly to the cross of, of saying, we don't, we don't want to linger here where we're seeing this side of, of God's character, and yet it's right and it's good. And so I just want to say, like, as you are feeling that, know that I'm, I'm feeling it too, and it's, it's almost like watching a toddler 
squirm, right, as they're being gotten onto, right? And, and they're wanting to look away in whatever direction. They don't want to pay attention because they, they feel the shame or they feel the guilt or they're, they're upset that their parents are upset with them. And all they want is to be removed from the situation. And if you have a kid that's a little bit um, of a clown, right, they love to, to work a joke in or say something silly or funny, and they're looking to, like, right, to break the mood, right? They're hoping to get you laughing so that you'll like maybe back off a little bit. And so there's a tendency with a book like Amos to do the same thing, to want to bring um, levity into it so that we can say, God, you're making me squirm a little bit. I'd like you to, like you to stop. And so um, all that to say, let's jump into chapter 4. As Amos continues his message to the north, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they will take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them. For you, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. I gave you clean, cleanness of teeth in all your cities. And lack of bread in all your places, and yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. And I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and I carried away your horses and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you so as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, as, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I, will, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Um, is I've been visiting with folks about Amos 4 this week. Um, Amos throws around some phrases that feel like you're watching like a 1980s action movie, right? Or a dad who's really bent on discipline, right? Like this like prepare to meet your God, right, type language. Um, that, that you can tell from Amos that he is quick to this, that he is wanting to, for them to see the, the weight and the significance of what is going on. And so chapter 4 begins really continuing a a similar thought from last week. 
And so, you know, obviously last week, Amos 3 is not your typical Mother's Day sermon. But you'll notice in verse 1, while we stopped there and did not want to continue on Mother's Day, right? As he says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. He is referring to the upper crust women in the society, right? And so he says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria. And remember, Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom. Jerusalem is in the south. And the, the area of Bashan was known for its pastures. You see this in, in Psalm 22, um, in Deuteronomy 32, that, that there was a river, uh, the Yarmuk, and the pastures there were lush and fertile. And so it was known for growing really strong, very healthy, um, fat cows, right? That the livestock from that area was, was just really, was really fertile. And so he says, look, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria. So he's talking to the upper crust women in this society. You oppress the poor and you crush the needy. And you say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. And so what he's saying is just like, look, this upper crust society has crushed people. They've oppressed people. There has been injustice. And it's not one moment of it or one notion of it. He said it's this ongoing, continual, that you have gained your wealth on the backs of your brothers and sisters in society. And so he's showing the women and he's saying, look, he's, he's making all sorts of digs here. One, he's calling them fat, right? One, he's calling them lazy. And he's saying because you're fat is because you haven't had to work. And in this culture, in this day and age, if you were overweight at all, it's because you had a life of ease. You weren't out working. And so he's like, you're, you're lazy. You're fat. You, you want your own pleasure. You're telling your husbands, go bring me some more wine. He's like, you're gaining your wealth and your, your comfort and your ease on the backs of others. So you're showing that you are not just. And remember, this would have been a, a very patriarchal society. And so what Amos is also doing, and is, is he's communicating from the Lord, is this. Hey, women, you weren't just brought along in this. You are complicit in this. Right? That it's not just the men's injustice. It's that you have wanted this as well. That you too have oppressed. That you too have held down. That you too have lacked justice. And so, as you think about um, the cows eating the lush grass, it's like it's an animal existence, right? It's all about self. It's all about gaining weight and, and get, having enough to eat. Um, and he's saying, look, all you care about is you. All you care about is you. You don't care about the people. And you certainly don't care about God. You care about you. Um, there's also, most likely, Amos is kind of poking at their religious background as well. Because they had begun to worship Baal a lot in this area. And he was the bull god. And so he's saying, like, like you basically belong to him. Right? You're one of his heifers. And so there's nothing about this that would not have been insulting to the women. Right? Nothing about it that wouldn't have been insulting to the men who belong to these women. Right? He says, look, you say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. He's saying, you call to him and say, Lord. Like, hey, Lord, bring me something to drink. And he's like, but you're showing who really wears the pants here. Right? So he is insulting upper crust society. And then says, look. Verse 2, the Lord God has sworn by his holiness that days are coming upon you when they will take you away with hooks, every last one of you with fish hooks, and you will go out through the breaches. And so what he's picturing here is them being overrun 
and the city walls being broken, and they're going to be led off into exile. And he's like, they're not going to have to look for the gate to take you off to their country. There's going to be so many holes in the wall, they're just going to walk you straight out because they're going to overrun you. They are going to destroy you, and you will be led out into exile. You'll be taken away. And in, in case you're not familiar with this section of history, within three decades this occurs. Right? It's coming. It does happen in 722. That they are overrun. And so he's saying this is what's going to happen because you have been unjust. Because you have rebelled against me. So he's looking at society here. But then look at this in verse 4. He gets into the religious life as well. So he says, come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. So Bethel and Gilgal were two places where they had shrines where they would worship. It's two of their religious centers. And so in verses 4 and 5, you see the Lord showing a sarcastic side, right, through Amos to the people. And so he's basically mimicking and mocking the priests who are saying, come and worship, come and worship. And so God is saying, yeah, come to Bethel. Come to Gilgal, these places where you have followed your religion. But he says this, when you come to Bethel, you're not worshiping, you're sinning. Come to Bethel and transgress. Come to Gilgal and multiply your transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Right, so he's saying, they're they're showing traditional worship here. They're bringing money. They're worshiping. They're bringing sacrifices. He's like, you're doing all the things that you think are right. And I want you to know that as you're doing them, you are sinning and furthering your rebellion against me. Because you love your religion and your tradition more than me. That what they wanted was a religion that they could control. A God that they could control. And he's like, you are dutiful to do this. You do it daily. And it's consistent rebellion because you love this, not me. And so God is getting, he's like, look, in society, you're not just. And in your religious pursuits, even though you're dutiful in them, they don't please me. It is empty worship. You almost get the sense of this. Some of you um, have junior hires. Some of you have had junior hires. And you get that kind of like, I did it. What more do you want? Right? Like, Hey, I want you to go pick this up. And and they just like, they throw this in like, and they technically did what you asked them to do. But with such like disdain and lack of play, like that you're like, yeah, that doesn't matter. That doesn't count. Right. And so what you picture is happening here is that they're bringing their sacrifices and they're bringing their tithes and they're going to worship. And they're like, Lord, I did it. So now provide for us. Give us rain. Give us everything that we need because we did what you asked us to do. So now you owe us. And you see presumption from the people. Of saying, we, we, we'll love to do these things. We don't really care about knowing you. We don't want to know you. Remember, they've already said they've cut off the words of the prophets. They've cut off communication. And so they're doing these religious things. And they're doing these traditional things for the last 200 years apart from God. Apart from him and thinking that that is sufficient. We know that, they, that it's, um, it's not sufficient because they have failed to back up their religious duty with any sort of righteousness. That they have been completely lacking in looking like God. They have not imaged his character at all. And so their desire in this religious system is to please themselves and not God. And so we see what God says here. He says... 
in verse 4, you bring your sacrifices every morning. You bring your tithes, not mine. It's like, you're not bringing it for me. You're not bringing tithes for me. You're not bringing sacrifice to me. You're doing it for you. And your desire is to please yourself and not me. That they have found a religious system that pleases them, that gives them some sort of peace, and it is completely devoid of God. And so what we have seen so far in Amos is this, that he has said, he's just continued to lay out their sins and the things that they've done. And then he has gone back and shared their history and said, but look at all the things I've done for you. I've rescued you. I've adopted you. Um, I, I chose you. I've known you. He's like, I have been historically everything to you and you've rebelled against me. Well, he's going to change tactics here. So he's continuing to list out their sins of why they're going to be judged. But beginning in verse 6, he's going to show a really severe kind of grace. So he says in verse 6, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. What he's basically saying is that you've had famine. You've had famine. Your teeth were clean because there was nothing to eat. You didn't have enough to eat. And look, he's like, when I did that, you didn't return to me. He's like, I I tried to shock your system, right, with not enough food to realize what you're doing is wrong. And you were like, yeah, we don't need God. Verse 7, so I also withheld rain from you. So it's an agrarian society. They need rain. So he's like, there was drought. And you didn't get the rain you needed. And he goes, and then look, he brought frustration upon them. Because he said, I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. So there was confusion and there was frustration. And it was, he was like, it was obvious that I was in control and that I'm pulling the strings. And you're supposed to see that what you're doing is not pleasing to me and that you would repent and return to me. He says, one field would have rain and the field on which it did, it would not rain, would wither. And so two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water. And listen, this is key here in verse 8. And they would not be satisfied. So he's like, when you got rain, you weren't satisfied. And when you didn't get rain, things died. And in all of it, you did not return to me. He continues in verse 9. So I struck you with blight and with mildew. So he's saying, like, I basically brought, like, um, pestilence upon your crops that they did not have what they needed they weren't good to eat anymore I brought it upon your many gardens and your vineyards and then the fourth thing in verse 9 is this your fig trees and your olive trees the locusts devoured so he's just listing these things saying look I've, I've, brought, I've brought drought I've brought too much rain I've brought famine I've brought mildew and I, he said I've brought locusts the fifth one is this in verse 10 I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt, like just a plague where people were sick and dying. In the sixth, I killed your young men with the sword. So he's saying you lost in battles, the battles that you should have won, you lost. And then in verse 11, the seventh thing is this. So I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's referring now to to earthquakes and natural disasters that have leveled cities. Bringing up Sodom and Gomorrah is a reminder of just the utter destruction, the completeness of it. And so he lays out these seven things. Famine, drought, blight, locusts, pestilence, war, and earthquakes. And so knowing that for the the Jews, right, that seven was kind of a number of completion, they might have at this point been like, all right, we've made it through the list. And he's just laid these things out and says, look, I have done all of them. Right, so that you would return to me. 
And I want you to note this. God is not apologizing. He's not saying, hey, I'm sorry I did that. He's saying, you have not trusted me. You have not come to me. You have not repented. You have not followed me. And so he's already shown the grace that they have received above every nation in the world. And he said, but I've also brought about discipline. And in my discipline, the point was reform. The point was rehabilitation. The point was that you would come back to me. And so it's just like a parent, right? That we can punish. And the point is when we punish, it's like, I'm frustrated and I'm mad. So I just want to have, I want you to feel what I feel. Or we can discipline. And in discipline, what we're saying is I want to reform. I want to change. I want to disciple you into something different, into something better. And so punishment is typically is just because I can. Discipline is thoughtful. It's intentional. It's looking to shape and to change the individual or the people involved in it. And so what they're seeing here is a reverse exodus. That God had used plagues to, to pull them out of Egypt. To rescue them. And Pharaoh had continued to say, I'm not letting your people go. And hardened his heart against God. And now what he's saying to the people of Israel is, you've done the same thing. You've enslaved your own people when you were once slaves. He's like, and now when I have brought about natural acts by my hands, supernatural, so that you would remember what I did in, in Egypt, so that you would remember that you can too be in the, the crosshairs of this. He's like, you haven't returned to me. You've just continued in your religious tradition and your lack of justice. You have not returned to me. That he is... He's blocked their satisfaction. Right? That everywhere they've turned, he said, no, no more. Because I want you to come back to me. The one thing that will satisfy you. Listen to what Jeremiah, another prophet, will say in verse 13 of chapter 2. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and... They've hewed cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So what he's saying is, look, you've gone out and you've, you've forsaken me, the one that will satisfy you, the fountain of living waters, and then you've made cisterns that don't hold water. And so he's like, you're holding them up and you're drinking dust. And you're thinking that it'll satisfy, and yet you don't return to me. And so they have set up a religious system. They have had stability and peace for the most part for 200 years. They have gained wealth. And he's like, look, in in your peace, you're not satisfied. In your wealth, you're not satisfied. You're not in your religious system, you're not satisfied. And every thing that I've done has been to bring you back to me, the one who can actually satisfy you. The one who knows you, who's loved you, who's redeemed you, who's rescued you, who has adopted you, who has kept you, who has guided you, who has maintained things for you. And what you want is anything but me. You want anything but me. In Deuteronomy 28, the people of God had been warned. Look, if you don't obey, there will be punishment. And it's like they've forgotten this. Listen to just a couple verses out of Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all of his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all of these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall be your city, and cursed shall be your field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. 
Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed you'll be when you go out. Verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You'll go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. Listen, chapter 28 just lists ways after ways after ways that if you don't stay with me, here's what's going to happen. So what God is saying is, I told you when I gave you the law in Exodus, in, in Egypt, when I was at Mount Sinai, I told you the benefits of knowing me. That I've done this for you, not because you were great, but because I'm great. And because I'm merciful, I've given it to you. But there's consequences if you don't trust me. And so now when they've seen their young men die in war, when they've seen drought, when they've seen these things happen, they should have remembered Deuteronomy 28. And been like, this is God because we're not trusting him and we're not following him. But they have been more in love with their traditions and their religious system than they have with actually knowing or pleasing God. Listen, it's not easy to hear, right? That God was bringing these hard things to block their satisfaction. He was bringing these hard things to bring them back to repentance. But they have missed it completely. And so they probably have taken a breath now going, okay, the Lord has named his seven things. And one of Amos's favorite is he likes to lay out seven, which they would have been familiar with, and then he adds an eighth, right? It's like this dramatic punch because they've they've let their guard down verse 12 therefore thus i will do to you o israel because i will because i will do this to you prepare to meet your god o israel and basically what he says is i'm coming you thought that was bad here i come right like this Amos 4.12, taken out of context, is a coffee mug verse. Prepare to meet your God. Man, that's beautiful. I want to meet God. Right? And yet we've been on the other side of this, right? When uh, maybe you were at home and your parents call and what you're doing isn't good. And they're like, we're on our way home. And you're like, ah, oh, this, this isn't good. Right? And so maybe, right, it's prepare to meet your maker, right? This is kind of where this has come from, right, that we've seen in, in westerns and in action movies, right? This is what the Lord is saying is prepare to meet me, and it will not be pleasant. Like you thought that was bad, I'm coming. And then he continues. For behold, he who forms the mountains... And creates the wind. Like listen to the language here. Forms the mountain and creates the wind. Declares to man what is his thought. Who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Right? Maybe just a little bit of a shudder there. He's saying, you don't stand before me. You won't stand before me. And I think for many of us, one of the reasons we come to a book like Amos is because we have a way of like truncating God. We make him small. We can put him in our pocket. We can, you know, if we have an issue, we we pray to him. But we kind of want to control it, much like they were. And God is saying, I'm not controlled. I'm big. And I am more than you think I am. And when I come for you, it's not going to be what you hoped for. And so they would have taken 
comfort, right, in like saying, our God is the one who forms the mountain. Our God is the one who creates the wind. And he's saying the same God who does those things is coming for you. Right? Just this kind of chill up our spine that we can't control this God. And would we repent for trying to? So look, Amos is about halfway through his message now. But a couple thoughts for us this morning as we finish um, is this. Um, I want you to see even just initially in, in verse 13 that Amos is just really good at what he does. And so he started it with the, the cows of Bashan who are on the mountains of Samaria. And he ends it with the one who forms the mountains. Right? It's just like inclusio here of just saying everything in here right, is kind of bracketed by this idea of mountains. And the ones who are on the mountains ruling currently do not rule. Because I'm the one who makes the mountains. Right? Like that God is just letting them know who he is. Church, I think we have to be challenged by Amos' message. Because we want to control things. We want to control our religious experience. We, we want God not to stretch us that much or to ask too much of us. That if we're not careful... God and faith and church become a nice addition to a respectable moral life. And we just kind of like, we've got this, right? And he's my, like, he's my backup, he's my safety net. If things really go awry, I'll pull him out and he'll do his thing. And we just want tradition, sometimes over his presence. Right, that we show up at church... And what we want is for the sermon to be a certain length. And we want a certain number of songs. And we want this service, right? Like we, we, we just kind of have our way of doing things. And we want it to be contained within that. Instead of coming and saying, God, what we want is you. Not tradition. Not our way of doing things. What we want and what we need is you. And we want more of you and we want your presence. And we know that you are great and you are wonderful. And you are terrifying as well. That he can be all of those things in God. So we come humbly saying we want you. And so I want us, if we're saying that we want more of God, that we see him rightly, that he is gracious and merciful and kind and he is also fierce. That he is both, he is all of that. And that what we want to do here is not to check off a box, but we want to please him. Because we want to know him. Because they were more concerned with checking off their religious boxes than knowing God at all. And look, there are things that we can do religiously that help us pursue God. But the end goal cannot be, had my quiet time, read a verse, did my thing. But it's meeting with the holy living God who makes the mountains. And that is what we are called to do. And he has given us invitation to him. The second is this, um, is that he blocked their satisfaction and brought about discipline to bring them back. Folks, maybe this morning your, your eyes are being opened and the Spirit is giving you some aha moments that there are some things the Lord has told you no to because He wants you to be drawn back to Him. That He hasn't given you the job that you thought you needed. He hasn't given you the money that you thought you needed. He hasn't given you the relationship that you thought you needed. He hasn't given you the family that you, Right? Whatever it was. And He's saying, look, in those things, you weren't going to find the satisfaction that you were going to find in me. And folks, sometimes he does give it to us so that in it we'll see that it is a broken cistern that is not pouring forth water, but it's pouring forth dirt. 
and that it doesn't satisfy. And so we get the job with the money and the power. We get the relationship. We get all of those things, and we realize, I'm still not satisfied. And it's because satisfaction ultimately and completely is found in one and one only, and that is God. Right? That He is the fountain of living waters. That He is the one who satisfies. The third thing is this. When he tells them, prepare to meet your God, O Israel, there's actually a little bit of grace in this because he's saying, like, you got a, you got a moment here, prepare to meet me. So we have to ask our, ourselves this question, how do we prepare to meet him? We prepare to meet God because of Jesus. That the wrath that God is showing them that he wants to pour out on Israel has been met and satisfied by Jesus at the cross. That, right, that it's not just this idea of he went to the cross, he died for my sins, right? Ho-hum. This God, with this wrath, poured it out on Jesus and not on you. That Jesus satisfied it on our behalf. And so then when we're called to be image bearers, right? To look like Jesus. And so does Jesus begin to seem bigger to us? Because he has stood in the way of the wrath of God and satisfied it so that we can go before him. Listen, Exodus 19, the people of God are, have been rescued by him. They're surrounding Mount Sinai and God descends on the mountain and it is fearful and terrifying. Go read Exodus 19 if you've forgotten with, with smoke and fire and lightning and the people are trembling and he's like, if you touch the mountain, you're going to die because of my holiness. We see here, prepare to meet your God was not really an invitation. But church, would we be reminded of this? That in the New Testament, Jesus says that we can boldly and confidently approach the throne of God. What's changed? Jesus. Jesus has satisfied that requirement of perfection, of righteousness, of holiness on our behalf. And then he says, so because you're my brother, you're my sister now, you've been adopted into the family because we're adopted children of the king. He's like, walk into the throne room, pray, come before the same holy, fierce God, because I have satisfied all the requirements, right? If that doesn't make our hearts swell in, in worship for Jesus, then we are a traditional people who have forgotten the significance of this. And so our motivation matters. It would be easy for us right now to say, we could think about all the people in America who claim Christianity and do these horrific things, and we're like, they're the ones he's talking about. But he's asking us to check ourselves as well. To check our heart for unrepentant sin. Of areas where we have sought out satisfaction and maybe think we have temporarily found it in something other than Jesus. Because it was both the social crimes and the religious rebellion that God is pouring out his wrath against. He is calling us to repent, to reconcile with him, to return to him, to be satisfied with him. Listen, we can fool one another. This is where we're going to end. We can fool one another. They were for 200 years religious. And God was not pleased. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3, there will be a day where you will stand before God. And your life and your works and your deeds and your efforts and your motivations and your intentions and all those things 
will be there, and you will walk through judgment. And on the other side of it, you'll either have a pile right, of, of rewards, of things that were shown to be true and right to offer back in worship to your king, or you will be shown to have been a fool who wasted their life and let it be burned up. And you'll be saved, but only as one who has come through fire and smoke, right? Like a little bit singed. And so here's the thing. Our giving to the church, our church attendance, our ability to talk about the things of faith can be our attempts to reflect the right, good character and image of God. Or it could simply be our attempts to fool one another into thinking that's who we are. And God is saying it will be known one day. It will be redeemed. And so not just what you do, but how you do it and why you do it matters. And church, that is why we need Jesus. Because John 15 tells us that we will only put off eternal fruit if we are connected to him. Because the point then will be to know him, which the people of Israel weren't wanting to do. It will be to have heard from him, which they've cut off the prophets. It will be to rightly reflect his image because we know him as rescuer and savior. And we're saying, I'm his and he's mine and I want to look like him. So listen, as we hear the hard words and the judgment of Amos as he delivers a message from the Lord, would we be willing to check our own hearts to ask the Lord to reveal to us, right, is there any area in my life that's displeasing to you? Is there any area where I find satisfaction or look for it other than you? And that we would repent and return to the Lord, that it would not be said of us, look, here's what I did, and you didn't return to me. So what we're going to do is we're going to invite the band back up. There'll be some men and women in the back of the room. But we're just going to invite you to sit for a moment, um, trusting that the Spirit's at work, that He maybe is even revealing to you things that you need to repent of so you can return to the Lord. And then when the band begins to sing, you're invited. You, you can stand and sing with them. If you need to sit and, and remain in that posture of prayer, you do it. This is not about everybody else, right? This is about you dealing with what the Spirit is doing. And we're trusting that he is working and moving. So let me pray for us.